Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema, directors, actors, genres, or franchises. It doesn't matter, because it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Becky. And this month we're talking about David Lynch. Yes. And this week we're talking about... Blue Velvet. And we have a guest this week. We do. Back by popular demand. My demanding, because I want her back on the show. My cousin, yes, me. It me. <laughs> it be, yes. It, yes. Uh, so... We we wanted you on for our David Lynch month because you adamantly hate the man. I do. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that's an overstatement. And for the most part, most of the other people we've had on talk, you know, they, they like David Lynch movies or they don't have a visceral reaction to them like you do. You you just seem so angry right now. There's you're just seething. I'm holding it all in, Dean. She's gonna but lunge like, across I'm, the table and get you. I'm ready. <laughs> well, I guess to to start this this off, you know, what are your thoughts on David Lynch, the director? I don't know that much about David Lynch, like as a man, but I've seen three of his movies mm-hmm. and. I can say with confidence that I think he's probably like deeply perverted. <laughs> um, I wouldn't call him a misogynist. Like I think that might be too far, mm-hmm. but I'm getting like little bits of um, woman hate. <laughs> a woman hate. Woman hate. He, yeah, he's, he's a member of the He-Man Women's Haters Club. So exactly. are you? No, I'm not. I'm not part of the little <laughs> rascals. But so, okay, so I think that's pretty accurate observation because his movies are very um perverted is a good word for him right like Mulholland mm-hmm. Driver is pretty um perverted this is ve- this is probably his most perverted movie though Blue Velvet um I actually think that Mulholland Drive is more egregious which is why I like refuse to rewatch it I thought this really? one was worse Mulholland Drive really? you think mm-hmm. is worse I do because I feel like Mulholland Drive is like unapologetic just like lesbian porn <laughs> i it's lesbian and, porn after the on. first 90 minutes yeah and like the music in the background when that those scenes are going on is like gouge my eyes out oh, kill me now just like, wait until you hear that episode oh. i'm terrified <laughs> it, it went so well and then dean really took it off the tracks and i was just like what are you doing <clears throat> oh it's great dean because we record these out of order, so Mahalan Drive's already been recorded. But really, you don't... Because th- Blue Velvet's got, like, the scene in it. Mm-hmm. That that scene. And I think that's way more, like, perverted and dark and um, mm-hmm. disturbing than anything in, in Mahalan Drive. I think it's more upsetting to watch because it's horribly violent. Yeah. Um, but I think that it may have more purpose in the film. Like, in terms of saying something else that actually is of substance rather than Mulholland Drive which just feels like David Lynch is behind the camera like jerking off <laughs> honestly yeah I can see where you, I can see where you're coming from but I I think that's just that's an interesting thing you're you're saying is purpose for what's happening because you know like the, the stuff in this movie like that it could be in like a softcore porno and it would be a pretty easy one-to-one but for blue velvet and Mulholland drive there's feels like there's a point to it and i right. think that's why generally it's a easier to um i like, guess it's easier to analyze or, or watch i would suppose mm-hmm. than something that's just a straight like porno 
I feel like if somebody is going to show extremely graphic um, scenes in a movie, it has to be purposeful, basically. And that scene is like, I still think is extremely over the top, like gratuitously over the top. I'm... But you might be able to like argue for it. I feel like you will. I'm going to. But but boo, you know, uh, after watching Blue Velvet, your thoughts on the, the Lynchian direction? Don't understand the man. But I still like Twin Peaks. This is like almost his trial run to get to Twin Peaks. Because this is 86 and Twin Peaks comes out in like four years after this. And 90, yeah. Yeah, so this is like feels like his trial run to get to Twin Peaks. But Blue Velvet. Does anyone want to know what the movie's about? God, no. <laughs> I guess. Corrupt the masses. Corrupt the ma- this is not nearly as bad as you're saying. It's not like okay. it's not like satanic ritual on screen. It's no Sunset Boulevard, Can which you, I love. You love it. Thank you, because Sunset Boulevard is a masterpiece. It is, and I started rewatching it. Hey, there we go. And I was like, oh my god, I missed essential bits of this because I had only seen it once. So there's so much in that movie. <clears throat> yeah. There's so much in that movie, and I'm surprised you watched Sunset Boulevard and didn't like Mulholland Drive. So surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That look of anger on your face is is wonderful. If looks could kill, that was the look that Dean got. <laughs> but for the back of the box of Blue Velvet, for anyone curious. Oh uh, boy, here we go. After his father falls ill, curious-minded college student Jeffrey Beaumont returns to his hometown to tend to his father as he recovers. But when Jeffrey discovers a severed human ear lying in a field, he is swept up in the mystery. As he unravels the secrets of this small town, he grows closer to his fellow amateur sooth, Sandy Williams, as well as the seductive Dorothy Valens. And soon, he fa- fa- mm. soon he faces. We did it. <sighs> Fuck! I um, I was so he fucking knows close. Was subconsciously so... that this is like a total misrepresentation. <laughs> and soon he faces the wrath. Read his own writing <laughs> of the psychotic Frank Booth, who will stop at nothing to keep Dorothy at his mercy. And uh, there's a there's a lot of shit that happens after that. <laughs> there's a lot going on in Blue Velvet, but you know, we got we got Jeff, we got Sandy, we got Dorothy, and we got Frank and the monster that is Frank Booth. Yeah. But uh, where where would you guys like to start? Yes, where would you like to start? To uh, you know, tearing this movie apart. <laughs> so many options. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually have two like separate notes. That are just filled. I'm just gonna close um, my book, <clears throat> honey. Please, I lead. am leading this podcast. Oh now. yeah, that's why uh, I hardly <laughs> took any notes. I'm like, you know what? As the only one that hasn't seen this movie prior to this recording, I'm like, I'm gonna go just based off of experience. I'm gonna let my cousin take the lead and tear you apart. So, bye, Dean. Yeah, because this isn't your first time watching it, right? It's my second time. It reminded me of why I hate David Lynch <laughs> and why I hadn't rewatched it till this moment when i was like i had to <laughs> well, what was the what was the first viewing experience like obviously okay, it wasn't is... a theater experience no because it wasn't 1986 because i wasn't born <laughs> i mean obviously <laughs> um so i first watched blue velvet and Eraserhead and mulholland drive like back to back when i was 22 oh that's a that's well, a strong marathon well okay wait it wasn't a marathon when i say back to back it was like over a week okay but still like still close rough. enough to like destroy a person's will to live <laughs> um i will say i think i was a bit too young 
when I was watching it and didn't have enough life experience possibly to break down certain like events and themes in this movie in the way that I would now because now I'm 30 I'm married I have children so I did analyze it differently this time okay and maybe even gave it like a little bit more credit because the first time I watched Blue Velvet I was obsessed with the fact that Jeffrey Beaumont is like a piece of shit (laughs) okay I wholeheartedly agree with you okay I don't I don't know if what Jeffrey's deal is, because he is like a Norman Bates level creep, mm-hmm. right? He has this exterior of being kind of this sweet, you know, all American boy, and mm-hmm. then totally different from Coop. Totally <laughs> different from yeah. Uh, Kyle McGaugh can also play uh, Detective Cooper in Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. which is an evolution of this character, but is far more of a just like general stand-up good guy. Mm-hmm. In this, you know, his Jeffrey Beaumont character is a voyeur and is incredibly obsessive and you get the sense he wants to be like a hardy boy detective but it's mostly an excuse to break into women's apartments yeah it's peeping tom vibe Um, yeah yeah he says to sandy that line right which is like she asks him i i'm not sure if you're a detective or a pervert and then he's like that's for me to know and you to find out it's like a first of all groan but second of all yeah i I, mean i mean laura Dern seemed to be into it sandy seemed to be into it she's so lame like she's wait she's my favorite character in this movie and she's so freaking lame because the sandy character I don't know how much she actually affects the plot. She works more as like a foil to the Dorothy character. Where mm-hmm. if Dorothy is like the dark underbelly, she's like the nice, happy, like bright side of this environment. <laughs> the girl next door. Yeah, exactly. The girl next door. And I think Laura Dern plays a very, very nice, lame teenage girl. <laughs> she does. I mean, she's only like 18 in this. So, I mean, it probably wasn't that hard of a, this of a is her play. First role. Uh, oh, wow. Well, she got, a, what was it, her first day of college? I think so. She landed this movie, and then we have Laura Dern. Was this also Isabella Rossellini's debut? Because I think prior to this, she was just doing, like, modeling, maybe? I think it'd be pretty early for her, I, w- I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I sh- well, because she's a daughter of um, Ingrid Bergman, Ingrid Bergman mm-hmm. and um, <coughs> the other, the director Rossellini. Yeah. Antonio <laughs> Rossellini, I think is his name. You but don't know? I, I know the last name Rossellini. Prolific Italian film director. <sighs> Curses. <laughs> but um, I, I think this is probably a very early role for her because I don't think she's that old in this either. I think she's only in her, like her early 30s. mid-20s. No, Did she's you... in her 30s. Is she, she is. 30s? I think she might have been 34. She's definitely older than Kyle McLaughlin. Wow. She, he she doesn't was... look it, honestly. She, she, I mean, to me, she looks like a mature woman and I, that's intentional, right? Like he's 20, he, I think he was 27 when he played this role. I did look it up because I, I wanted to know. Um, (laughs) See, she's on it. But wait, this is, I, this is an interesting starting point to talk about like um, Sandy versus Dorothy because, well, one of my arguments against David Lynch is that none of his women and also, I would even say none of his characters are real people other than Jeffrey Beaumont. Like, everybody else is just a projection of his psyche, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. I mean, as a woman, to see, like, these women who are completely flat and are just there to function as his, you know... Playthings or, yeah, like... Cause I Fantasies, yeah. I see that. I think the biggest split is him and Frank Booth. If we're talking about like projection of his psyche, because Jeffrey is, you know, 
projected as being a person able to function in society, and Frank Booth is the most base, animalistic, dark side you can go from that, which is interesting, but I kind of agree with you that everyone is almost a projection of what Jeffrey is going through, Mm -hmm. kind of. But, uh, I think Frank actually is um, like a side of his own character that he's afraid of. You want me to explain that? Or? I would love to. <laughs> don't explain it to me. Explain it to the audience. Right, and let's I'll just, just indulge in the idea that David Lynch is worth analyzing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I also have an argument about that. I I would like to hear that argument too. But let's get okay. let's get to this part where you know you're you're not trashing uh, America's favorite director. Okay. <laughs> um. So I think that one of the main ideas in this movie or one of the main like themes that lynch is exploring is that of like male aggression and male desire and the whole um like juxtaposition of sandy and dorothy is that sandy like you're saying is this like all-american like high school novice she's like you said the girl next door Mm -hmm. and dorothy is this mysterious woman who i think is importantly i think the casting is so important in this film that, sh- that Isabella Rossellini is like this delicate European flower. And then you have Dennis Hopper, who's this like American, like rough, like cowboy, right? Like that's how he's known. Yeah. As an actor up until this point. I'm, yeah. Easy Rider, Giant. Um... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 actually came out the same year as Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper had one of the greatest years of cinema. Wow. I'm sure My. people just loved him. <laughs> oh. I mean, I'm watching it and I'm like, wow, he's really pulling from his character. What was his name? Like Grady? In... In, t- in Texas 2, I think that's his name. I rem- I just remember him dual wielding chainsaws fighting Leatherface, which, well, if you want a masterpiece, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Well, that's Ooh. the vibe that I was getting, and I'm like, this has to be close. No, it was the same year, and I think... It was probably in the same batch of coke he was doing it to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Texas God. came out first before Blue Velvet. So I was just like, wow, he was just the same person the entire year. This is kind of terrifying. Scary for him to live in that it's dennis hopper is a wild man actor honestly and this is we're, we're gonna get into the frank booth thing because i think he is a uh, embodiment of pure evil in a very real and disturbing way but we'll we'll get into that well, well back, back to what you were talking about <laughs> the anal analyzation all right David lynch is worth analyzing i um i think that Frank Booth is the side of Jeffrey Beaumont that scares him because there's that moment in the car where Frank looks at Jeffrey and he's like, you're like me. Do you remember this? Yeah, between doing hard like <clears throat> inhales of um, drugs from his tank thing, tank mask, I air mask. What that is. I think, but... it, I think it's some sort of like like laughing gas psychedelic bullshit. I, I... Fat Max, <laughs> you know, a Morton Joe. Yes, that one. Okay, probably. <laughs> yes, he is Bane. <laughs> um, Bane's cooler, sorry. I think that Jeffrey is, like, terrified that he has these, like, latent desires inside of himself. That's why when he has intercourse with Dorothy and he slaps her, he, like, backhands her twice because she's like, hit me. Oh, she's so freaking annoying. She, um, she's into some things. Dorothy Valen's most annoying character, like, ever written. <laughs> I would, like, make a... <laughs> I don't know. A, really? A po- she's so irritating. Especially as a woman. Like, Agreed. I find her insanely aggravating. Yeah. Yes. Also, because she she's not a real person. Like I'm saying, she's not actually, like, a woman. Like, a real character. She is a projection. And that's part of... I mean, I'll... 
cut her some slack because she's not real <laughs> I, I mean i think that's a point for a lot of lynch movies is a lot of characters in his movies don't feel real and i think that's i think all of that's all, yeah it's i think it's intentional i mean that's... she finds him in the closet and it's i'll kill you i'll kill you but hug me, hug me. It's well, like, well, then it's like, she's, woman, make up your mind. Well, she's straight up like, like she has rapes like Stockholm him. syndrome, yes. and it's like effed up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's almost a thing where she, well, in that moment when you know she finds Jeff in the closet, it's like she's now because she's been you know abused by mm-hmm. Frank. She's like, well, now I have power. I'm going to abuse this mm-hmm. guy, and then she repeats the same lines that Frank you know tells her don't look at me yeah Mm -hmm. she's she's completing that whole process even if you look at what she's actually doing the uh you know the under the carriage you know kiss here it's the same thing that frank does like literally five minutes afterwards it's like she's just repeating this cycle Mm -hmm. of abuse Mm -hmm. which i think is intentional because you get that whole thing of like small towns you know oh everything was so nice except oh there was that one funny uncle that hung around in town and it's a big surprise that half the town is now weird you know, I th- wonder mm-hmm. if that's something there. <clears throat> that's a definite theme. I mean, of things lurking under the surface, mm-hmm. if that's what you mean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like the whole first shot of the movie. Right. And it and the end it ends the same way actually, but you don't see the disgusting bugs <laughs> under the grass. <laughs> Giving bugs a bad name. Come on now. They're just um, chilling. No, they're so gross. <laughs> they're they're just doing their thing. We just have the fake bird from Twin Peaks. Yes, your favorite thing. This entire episode is going to be Boog tying into Twin Peaks. Hey, this okay, is the inspiration fine. for Twin Peaks. So yeah. I was able to pick up all the stuff that we see later in the series and the movie. So yeah, I'll call it out. I mean, it, it's very Twin Peaksy. This This could almost work as like a prequel. Mm-hmm. There's even the, the red curtains. There's a lot oh, of yeah. curtains in this movie. I like the blue curtains. Of blue velvet. The, blue, the undulating blue velvet <laughs> curtains. So I kind of got him into Lana Del Rey. Yes. <sighs> and he's like, did you know she did a cover of Blue Velvet? So it's interesting that you bring up Lana Del Rey, actually, because she touches on a lot of things that David Lynch touches on mm-hmm. in terms of, like, Ameri- this idea of, like, Americana and, like, the perfect, picturesque, ideal American life. But there's darkness lurking underneath. Oh, I feel yeah. like that's Lana Del Rey's, like, whole identity. I know, and now he's onto it, and he is a Lana Del Rey stand now. Not even close. I saw hard. one music video. <laughs> I saw literally one music video. You're, well, you'll get there. Oh, we God. all do. Yes. <laughs> it's, it is like the cult of Lynch. You know, she is the female David Lynch. But, like... very very better yeah so blue velvet yeah okay so you guys want my like and my hot take on this like just to like like my overview of this we literally brought you on this podcast for hot takes we literally brought you here for that okay so basically if dean starts saying hit me hit me then we gotta (laughs) you know we gotta take a break yeah we'll do that (laughs) um Okay, one of my biggest problems with David Lynch is that I feel like people think he's a lot deeper than he actually is. They're like, oh, he's so, like, he's so prolific, he's so poetic, but he isn't. That was actually something we brought up in Mulholland Drive, where um, we talked about how he has characters emerging from the dark. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, wow, you know, that's so profound in the way that, you know, they're coming into the light. And I think we talked that... David Lynch was like, no, it just looks cool to see someone come out of the darkness. And it's just right? like, there's not that much to it. <laughs> that- there, there's also the thing where even 
I, I saw an interview and it was with, um, I think his name is Michael Anderson. He, he played the man from another world in Twin Peaks and all mm, that stuff. Okay. And he like showed up to like the editing bay one day to like, I think he was like going to get lunch with David Lynch for something. And he overhears them talking about they're cutting a scene. And he's like, oh, you see this right here? They're, they're, we're going to put these two shots together. I wonder what it means. And it's kind of a thing where his process is kind of, he's not really sure what it is. And he just kind of builds his films and ideas in post-production after he kind of throws everything in his head onto the screen and then try and figures out what it all means later. Okay, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, and actually, I might hate him less for at least admitting to that and not trying to portray himself as some kind of like incredible mastermind who's like I planned all this shit out 10 <laughs> years ago and I've just been waiting right. for the moment to to put it on the screen. Mm -hmm. it, it, no, I think for the most part like Inland Empire is the most distilled version of this. I, the, you haven't seen Inland Empire, but do you know about that film? No. Okay. I really don't. <laughs> so, Inland Empire God. was this experimental thing he wanted to do. It was right when like camcorders became like readily available. So he bought like a camcorder from Circuit City in like 2001 and he asked Laura Dern to come over and be like, "Hey, I wrote this scene. Do you want to come over so I can like film you so I can test out the camera?" And she's like, "Oh, sure." And that turned into him just asking a bunch of people to be like, "Hey, do you have a free weekend?" And then he made a three-hour movie out of all these little things he shot out of, mm -hmm. like, six to ten hours worth of footage and just kind of cut it all together and made a movie. That kind of, sort of, has a through line. And you and your friends all fell asleep during this movie? We did. We did. We went to go see it in the theater. <laughs> it is It is his It is his worst movie. I, I do not think that is a good movie. Okay, so he is yeah. a collage artist. <laughs> like, he's like, movie montages. Um is that the vibe? <laughs> kind of. I mean, there's a there's a plot and characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. Terry Crews is in the movie for some reason, and it's it makes some kind of sense. It just looks like it looks like he kind of okay. It looks like he wiped his balls across the lens and then <laughs> shot. It just looks disgustingly bad because it's two thousand two like camcorder. Why would you it's come very up with specific. that imagery? Have you? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm never borrowing a camera from you ever again. <laughs> but, but yeah, but with this, I mean, the original cut of Blue Velvet was like four plus hours long. So I feel that's that makes sense where this movie feels um, where I, I think your point makes sense where maybe it's all kind of he's just putting like whatever he's thinking his id just on the page and shooting all of it. And then he finds the actual plot and narrative later is kind of what's going on maybe it's not as purposeful as people think it is but i think there is intent i think there is intent but i feel like um the message <laughs> well any messages he has in this film are like insanely trite like i wish that he would just like sit down with his journal and like write a sad journal entry instead of like make movies because <laughs> i don't feel like they're that like significant or like saying anything really substantial you don't think it's deep? um no not at all it's just not that deep bro that's actually the issue it's heartbreaking i'm sorry she said oh, I'm, no 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 i'm good i'm good the he's man's holding, on your chest he's holding it together yeah i'm wearing my david lynch shirt right now just look, look yeah. how sad he is you know he's not sad 
He's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, fucking probably. He's like, I got Naomi Watts to have a gay sex scene. I'm rich. Um, Man, that is like life goals right there. God no. damn. Yeah. Didn't she just get married? Naomi Watts? I'm surprised she wasn't already married, honestly. Yeah, I've seen it on Instagram. I'm like, oh, okay. Good for her. Now that I've seen Mahal and Drive, I'm like, okay. I know more people. She's also very good in that movie. Great actress. Okay, you cannot look at me like that and tell me that Naomi Watts doesn't give a great performance you know, in Mulholland Drive. I'm not going to go after her, but um, I'm going to go after David Lynch and the cult of David Lynch. The cult um, of Lynch. He's right here. Yeah, yeah I'm ready to. <laughs> to yeah, I know. I just, I feel like what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of him just like sticking things together and like a hodgepodge like filming scenes because actually his movies to me always feel like pastiche it's just like i'm gonna reference this i'm gonna reference that and like here's a deep symbol that like people universally would acknowledge as deep right like um like what do like red roses against a white picket fence mean right like it's a very it's a very americana image right and there there are these images that people would universally think oh there's symbolism there there's something to like pick apart the fire truck yeah, the fire truck with the firefighter waving and the Dalmatian mm-hmm. and the the tulips and the flower bed and like the blue sky, right? Or, or a flickering candle and somebody saying, now it's dark. It's like there are things, right? there are universal symbols that people will, will look at, recognize and want to ask, like, what does it mean? But I think that he relies too much on that. I think that like actually, like you're saying, he's not even sure what he's like really trying to get at. And he... People, that's why you have, like, (laughs) I'm being so mean, but you have, you know, these, like, male college students who go see a Lynch film. They're they're called film bros. Film bros. Film bros. They they have a name. They've claimed it. Okay. I went to school with lots of them, and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, David Lynch is just so, I'm sorry, Dean, love ya. Love ya. (laughs) But, like. I am not, I am not like that. No, you're not. I enjoy David Lynch movies, but I'm not, like, um. Really? Stanley Kubrick? Oh, no. Stanley Kubrick's a master. We'll get. Okay, you you can you can calm the fuck down right now, all right? I, but like David Lynch, like I I love all the David Lynch movies I've seen. I've seen almost all of them, and I'm like they're all just like I find them fascinating and very intriguing. But if you wanted to tell me like, oh, Blue Velvet's an uh, analogy for the Vietnam War, I would probably say you're full of shit. You know? Right. I don't I don't think they're very um. This is a deep metaphorical analysis of the human condition and how capitalism is ruining our society. I'm like, no, it's very basic. It's there's the idealized Americana, but that doesn't really exist because underneath all of it is people like Frank Booth and the fucked up society that builds this picture that doesn't really exist. Are you sure it doesn't exist? Because that's another issue I have with a racer head, which is like. Oh, Eraserhead pisses me off to no end. Oh, it's I, like, I've seen Eraserhead like fucking 15 times. Oh, God. I bless think, you and keep you. I, uh, <laughs> Hold I, you in his arms. I, um, I, I, Eraserhead I just find like as a production fascinating. And I, okay. I think the movie works, but that's a very like, I understand why, because you're, you're making points that David Lynch doesn't get like women, but I think he really gets like men and the idea of that movie being about. <laughs> no, I think that movie being about like, oh, you're a father and you are really really afraid of how to take care of a child i think that's what eraserhead's about mm-hmm. and i that makes that i get and i think that's why i like it because that's a very like 
he's going at it a male perspective, and I think that's interesting. I think that it is fair for men to see their perspective represented in art. Like, I'm not going to be like some kind of crazy <laughs> feminist who's like, no, you can't have it, because um, that's not fair. But um, Eraserhead, it's annoying to me because... It's the drone, isn't it? The... Well, that's annoying. Underneath the whole movie. That is annoying, but um, I just feel like his perspective, like his his male, his specific male perspective is insanely immature. Like, that's why I said, like, he should just go and write a sad journal entry because then I feel the same way about Jeffrey Beaumont. It's like, there's not much to it. It's just like, I'm anxious about being a dad. It's like, okay. <laughs> like when, when you said that, like, the Americana doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. That's an issue that I have with Eraserhead because he portrays domestic life as like this freaky, insane, like surreal thing, right? Where like even having a conversation over dinner with his girlfriend's parents is like traumatizing. It's, <laughs> and it's like, is it though, David? Is it like... It's nerve wracking, you know? How many times has your chicken been hemorrhaging over dinner? Right. None. That was messed up. <laughs> okay, that one's kind of weird. Well, I think that's kind of a thing where, again, we're getting into a racer head, but I think in that scene, it's more representative of, oh, I'm meeting the girlfriend's parents for the first time. Oh, they make this food I never had before. I'm trying my best to be like... It's awkward. Cool with everybody. It's very awkward. The dad rambles about things that no one cares about, but are important to him. I get that, but I also feel like... David Lynch, and he does this with, well, the three movies that I've seen. Mm -hmm. He just, like, I feel like he takes reality and then makes something that is so removed from reality in order to, like, make it edgy or make it seem, like, deeper than it is. And actually, it doesn't work for me as, as a work of art because it's so removed from reality. It's like, what are you even saying anymore? Like, with Blue Velvet, it's like, I could... I could draw Isn't your some favorite movie like um, Color of Pomegranates. Yes. Like this movie is too and removed I am from reality. So ready to defend that <laughs> because that movie is a po intentionally a poem about a poet's life, and like and actually Sergei Parajanov when he made that, in, I think people wanted to see things like more deeply than they were. But actually, his images are very simple and are just supposed to function on a very like basic um emotional level and 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 wait <laughs> ah the hypocrite he, has arrived at the film club podcast uh, no 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 he's very like and i feel like he's very intentional about it like he knows what he's doing mm. he's 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 using the medium of film right like this visual medium to show these images that maybe would not be as well depicted verbally or some other way to evoke emotion to I don't know, to to allude to symbols, cultural, historical symbols that, again, people would universally recognize. But he's not, I don't think he's trying to pose as like more profound or, or make it seem like it's deeper than it is. Are you calling David Lynch a poser? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like, David Lynch to me is like wannabe like Cocteau. Like, wow, okay. He's that's, that's, you against the ropes. Ooh, that's dark. <laughs> well, I, I don't I respect your view, but I disagree with it. I'll put it like that. Because I... This is my I favorite day ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Becky's just going to sit in the corner get with a popcorn watch this out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that calling him a poser is very dismissive of what he's 
doing? Tell me what he's doing, Dean. Well, I gotta know. (laughs) I mean, what he's doing, at least to me, because, you know, art is, you know, subjective. You can view it however the fuck you want. But I feel that what he's doing generally is really shown here in Blue Velvet, which is very personal to him because he was this guy that grew up in like middle america nowhere and he grew up in like the white picket fence americana mm-hmm. and there's stuff in this movie that he was like i saw this as a kid and it like fucked me up like in the later on in the movie when you see isabella rossellini wandering around naked. the street naked mm-hmm. that actually happened to him as a kid he him and his brother were like riding their bikes home one night and they just see this woman wandering around naked in the street and that like fucked him up and he started like crying because he was like nine and he didn't know how to process that And I feel a lot of the movies he's going through is like, this is my experience with the world. You know, he grew up in this Americana thing and this like very idealized thing. But he's like, that's not what it is. Mulholland Drive is I came to Hollywood. I had all these dreams and I thought I was going to be making like Sunset Boulevard or Wizard of Oz. It's going to be these big, you know, beautiful movies. And then Mm -hmm. he gets there and he finds that, oh, Hollywood is just abusive and dark and cruel i feel it's his thing is he views the world in a particular way and his movies are him processing these things and that's kind of why jeffrey beaumont in the movie all these things are projections of jeffrey beaumont because you know the movies are just projections of him i mean Mm -hmm. i think the way he pitched this movie to his producer was okay this is gonna be hard to defend because it is gonna make david lynch sound like a fucking pervert (laughs) um but they were like so david what do you uh what movie do you want to make do you have any ideas i was like well i always had this idea like what happens if i ever like snuck into a woman's closet and like watched her and what if i saw her you know undress and everything (laughs) and then i see something that was evidence of a murder you know and a mystery that i could solve and they were like that sounds like an interesting pitch david like let's make a movie I feel that's the thing. I don't think he's a poser. I just think he's incredibly specific to himself is for his art. And I think people relate to that. Yeah, I think that he is a narcissist. Um, um, wait, okay. I will say that it, like, again, it is totally fair for an artist to be representing their whatever, own worldview. Their own worldview. Yeah, like something that is incredibly personal. Or, you know, maybe even like a kind of personal narrative. But I disagree with the way that he goes about it. And I don't think he does it well. I guess that's my issue with it, you mm-hmm. know. Don't worry about what just happened <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so, you're all good, right? Keep it a mystery for our viewers. <laughs> you got to love a good mystery. <clears throat> and the mystery was That's good. fine. The plot is fine. The plot is fine. But... I just feel like so much of it is like posturing as something, again, something deeper than it is. Like, um, okay, so so I was able... Is, is that something you don't like about the movie or you don't like about people who like the movie? Both. Wow. Wow, you just, you just hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like the movie does have a tone. It does have a, a vibe that it's trying to push of like pretentiousness like extreme pretentiousness <laughs> I, well man that was a nice sing-songy pretentiousness yeah. right there nice. ah, with like the light coming out of it pretentious <laughs> pretension <laughs> yeah um like okay let me say something <laughs> you oh, oh you got words i've got words she, i can boop. see the bullet points from here i've got bullet points i've Ooh, got she numbers got um, for you <laughs> she liked my movie i'm i I'm, did 
I think Blue Velvet's a good movie. I'm I'm very intrigued by the uh, the dialogue though, dissenting voices in the ranks. You know, we should totally yeah get into dialogue because the words that are used in this movie. I, I know you, I don't want to hear them, and you don't want to hear them, Becky. Yeah, just that one line I don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. It's i but they're important. Yeah. But I will say, just to defend my perspective <laughs> real quick, mm-hmm. um, any, like, so I was able to find maybe, like, six themes that may be, like, <laughs> significant or meaningful in this film. Mm-hmm. So one of them is, like, the theme of voyeurism, right? Very, very full in the movie. Right. It's, like, Jeffrey Beaumont voyeur. We become voyeurs mm-hmm. because we're implicated in it when we're watching him watching her and Through Frank. The closet. Yeah. Right. We're like, oh my God, why is he not tearing his eyes away? And then you're like, why am I not tearing my eyes away? Well, in my situation, I had to watch it because I was being forced to. You, no. Yes. We had the whole clockwork orange eye things mm-hmm. going Holding on. Holding my eyeballs. Pretty much, yeah. Open. Yeah. There's she that, loves clockwork which, orange. Okay. Voyeurism, like, again, trite. It's been done so many times. Like, the whole theme of, like, the flaneur and people. You know, watching the, from a distance. The, Hitch, so. the Hitchcock did it famously in Psycho. Right, like people have done it better. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Psycho was better. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> breathe, <laughs> deep, breathe. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we have you know the one the theme that you're talking about, which is things look perfect on the surface or things look good on the surface, but underneath there's this dark underbelly. We see that in a lot of Lynch's films, right? Like you're saying, which is fine. Like that's that's just society yeah no no i'm not saying it's okay i'm Mm. saying like um it's a fine theme but again people have done it and have done it better like again i don't agree with the way he does it (laughs) um or how he gets there i guess and like i feel like um with that whole that whole image of like the robin with the bug in its mouth at the end right right they they look at it sandy and and uh jeffrey look at it and they're like she looks back at him and says again, it's a strange world, isn't it? Right? It's like, and the, the, the Aunt Barbara or whatever is like, I can never eat a bug. Um, <laughs> and, and then she goes into eating chips, you know, being like, She's, we are as disgusting as the animals. She really is. Like, yeah, Barbara has like problems. But um, <laughs> you're just saying that because she was in other David Lynch movies. She was in Firewalk with me. She yeah, was. Super creepy. Um, but yeah, there's just that idea of like, how can something that is pure and good coexist or even like mingle with something that is like dark or twisted. Right. But it's like, okay, David Lynch, what about it? Like (laughs) the bird was hungry. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. But also like just, yes, good and evil, like coexist. And sometimes they like mingle. Yeah. Right. Which is the whole thing about him being like attracted to Dorothy. Who's like mysterious, dark, you know, elusive. And then. And then Sandy, who's like the girl next door, wholesome, pure. Okay. He's like, how can I have these like conflicting desires inside of myself? And yet here I am. Okay, great. Good. Write a poem. Exactly. Write a sad poem in your journal. Move on. Well, the bird thing, that's that's (laughs) more representative of like, you know, oh, evil can or good can triumph over evil. You know, if Jeffrey is like the Mm. Robins and the Bugs are the Franks of the world. You you have thoughts, don't you? Like wow, like <laughs> just you, like from the, the dawn of like human history, people have been talking about good triumphing triumphing over evil, and like have done it better. You, than ju- Lynch. you okay. just hate you just hate homage and pastiche. <laughs> You're just like I hate movies that I reference do, other movies. I kind of do. Like I kind of like I don't like Tarantino. Oh really? I don't. I, Sorry. I like Tarantino. Okay. I've, I've well, I really liked Tarantino when I was younger, and I have grown more and more 
lukewarm as I get old. I feel that is the arc of many, many mm-hmm. film people. Because I, I I agree that he leans way too much into like the self-indulgent, self-referencing things. And also, right. I think everything after Inglorious Bastards is just way too fucking long. Mm-hmm. He relates too long. <laughs> Fair. Uh, um, Once Upon a Time, I think, is a little too long. Not I, long enough. Yes. I, I need to be you know, fully <laughs> Living in Hollywood. inside that world. We have, yes. we have yes. two different views on that movie. Hey, you enjoyed it. You're sitting there with a big smile on your face. It's a fun movie. But so do you hate Star Wars too? Because that movie's just all past No, because it's done well. <laughs> like people, really? okay, people, I mean, I could sit here and say right now, like nobody should make anything ever again because there's nothing new under the sun and it's all, all already been done. But what I'm really saying is the same things will the same themes will come up over and over again because humans are humans and they don't mm-hmm. change. But, like, do it well. Like, David Lynch, no. Like, <laughs> you, you don't think he does I any dis- of these themes well? No, not really. The overall, his overall, like, films just don't work for me. I think, again, they're perverted. I disagree with them, like, on an ethical level in terms of, like, you know, this argument of, like, art for art's sake. Mm hmm. I kind of disagree and agree with it at the same time because I feel like things that are beautiful deserve to exist, like things that are aesthetically pleasing, right? A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Like that's why I love the color of pomegranates too because it is like, it's beautiful. But this is like, why are you trying to F me up, David Lynch? Like why are you trying to (laughs) scar me for life? He's just like, I'm just trying to make a movie, kid. What do you want from me? He's like literally ruining my life and also like not doing it very well. Um, not doing it very well. You spent the last like I don't know how okay. long an hour talking about how much that. you let me rephrase that. The ruining man. my life very well, but not telling <laughs> stories very well. That was unclear. I mean, it, it, he's effective. I mean, you say what you will. He's you a don't... provocateur. P- provocateur. I see. Like like another director I hate, Gaspar Noe, who's like misogynist, pervert, provocateur. I just do not like these types of directors. <laughs> Do okay. you love Gaspar Noe? Uh, not, not particularly, oh, good, no. Good. Thank no, God. No, no, no. Okay, well, I think Climax is an interesting movie, but I mean, I don't think I would ever want to watch it again. <laughs> I'm never going to watch Irreversible, by the way. That movie, that movie I think, is I actually like, rough. Really? You haven't seen that? No, no. I know I know about the scene in that, and I'm like, I don't need that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Not in my life. That scene, to me, is not as hard to watch as the rape scene in this movie. Oh, then I might be able to give it a watch then. All right. No, it's still horrible. Horrific. But it, the words in this, uh, in Blue Velvet's scene, are, yeah. like, so, damaging. So Wait. you're telling me that Dennis Hopper is a better actor than anyone in a Gaspar Noé film? I mean, yeah, Dennis Hopper is a good actor. He, uh, like, objectively is. Except for the CGI head they gave him when his head, you know, explodes. Oh, in <laughs> Mario Brothers? No, a... no, in this movie when... Uh... That wasn't a yeah. that, that wasn't a CGI head. It was a paper mache head. Thank you very much. Yeah, because I mean, you this know, stunning. You know, spoiler. He gets <laughs> shot in the head at the end of the movie, which he needs to be. But I mean, his head grows like you know five times bigger than it does. It looks like you know a bomb went off. That's so Lynch, though. It's great. That like I got like, too big. Surreal, over the top. Like I mean, that scene was creepy. That right. scene was like the most satisfying scene in the entire well, movie for I mean, me. I was like, oh thank God. Well, yeah, the final, guy in the yellow jacket. He is the creepiest character in this movie, other than Aunt Barbara. <laughs> you the, really have an Aunt Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you want to talk about like the like the actors outside of Lynch the man? Because yeah, say what you say what you will. You know, you might not like you know David Lynch as a director, but he gets some great performances out of people. Like mm-hmm. Frank Booth is, I think, one of the great villains of like 1980s cinema. Like he is just so like 
He's terrifying. Yeah. Evil. Evil is the word I would use. And Dennis so Hopper is a great actor. Again, he was on that good 80s coke. I also feel like Gordon, the detective, or I don't know if he's really a detective. It's unclear. I mean, he is, but he isn't. Yeah. Yellow jacket. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, to me, was even scarier. Like, he, he seemed more dangerous, potentially, than Frank Booth, because... First of all, he's wearing soft pastels, which is like, <laughs> what in the world? The, oh, are you you writing for Vogue now? Be like soft yes. pastels. His in... sartorial choices are terrifying. <laughs> um, no, but um, he's scary, man. Like he's unpredictable, mm-hmm. and and he's playing. He's obviously like being intentionally deceptive, and you're not sure whose side he's on. Whereas with Frank, he's like an unstable sadistic drug addict but you feel like he actually has strange moments of humanity when he's like watching her perform and there are tears in his eyes Mm -hmm. you're like oh whoa this guy is actually just like really messed up there's something broken in him whereas with gordon he's more i don't know just like straight up scary yeah because it's under the surface you know he's showing up to work every day he's a detective or he's you know part of a police squad and it's like you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be the good guy lawfully good and it's like no you're you know participating with frank and it's like i can't trust you at all Mm -hmm. frank i know you know he's like straight up evil that shit crazy Mm -hmm. but it's like you you know you should be someone that you know i go to work with every day and i can rely on you right i also thought williams is scary too williams williams is sandy's dad um detective williams you found him scary yeah because okay another theme or another like um prevailing sort of tone in in lynch's work is that you're not sure what to like you're not sure what to take seriously even at the end right when there's this like idyllic scene of um jeffrey and sandy together and their moms are chatting and their dads are together and his dad's better you're like first of all is this real mm-hmm. yeah. or is this n- totally a dream or something That's how I felt. right and it's like so over the top like um so like saccharinely sweet that you're like it, it something feels off right he actually does do that effectively he creates a feeling of unease where you're like i don't know what to believe anymore i don't know what is real like okay there's one point for david lynch um i mean the guys one of the guy's favorite movies is the wizard of oz and you know he loves sensible he likes these movies that feel dreamlike and Mm -hmm. and weird and uneasy i mean this movie for the most part feels like you're kind of in a really weird norman rockwell nightmare Mm -hmm. because the whole movie like everyone doesn't talk correctly you know they're they talk like they're in a in like a 40s or 50s like you know like mickey rooney judy garland musical unless you're frank who talks like you're in like a 70s like exploitation film Mm -hmm. you know and it's really oh god now you got that weird feeling that you're watching Easy Rider or Wait, something. Help me, God, please. But I, I, I think that you know he is very good at the aesthetic and the atmosphere of that dream sense that he like that movies should kind of have because movies are like just dreams on a screen in a very like pretentious artsy way to say that. Yeah, I mean he does do that effectively. He does create that sense of like you don't know where dream begins where reality ends this in this movie there's that moment where you enter that moldy ear and then (laughs) you exit an ear but it's jeffrey's Mm -hmm. everything that happens between those two shots could have never happened at all yeah or everything that happened after 
those shots, I guess, could never have happened. I don't know. It 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 um it like, you know, separates the film in a, in a specific way, where you're like unsure. That's what pisses me off about his movies because I don't know. Like, is this really happening? I don't know. Right. I mean, could be an interesting aspect to it, but again, I feel like. David Lynch intentionally leans into ambiguity, leans into like um, showing symbols, Mm -hmm. right? Symbols that are, that can be universally interpreted and also walks that line of like, is it really happening? Is it not happening? And, and it creates a feeling of like, oh, this is deep or profound, but it isn't (laughs) anything. I didn't even like finish talking about like the themes that, I could be in this movie, but please, please, they're trite. <laughs> so, so trite, so trite. So I don't, trite. I don't think. Mm, I guess this is one of those things where we are just on two very opposite ends on the David Lynch. Uh, is he a genius or a charlatan spectrum? Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of like intent and purpose, and I like how he interprets and shows trite they may be these themes, and I think the is a lot better than you give it credit for i'd love to ask you a question please pertaining to that what do you think about this idea of um well we were talking a little bit about americana but it also relates to casting um is there a theme of like americanism versus like europe europeanism um because because isabella rossellini like i said she's so like iconic as ingrid bergman's daughter and Rosalini's daughter. Exactly. Fuck, She's... It wasn't Antonio. God damn it. I was so close. <laughs> you looked that up, didn't you? I did. She Shit. is she's like Europe. Okay, I don't know. She to me she represents Europe. Frank Booth represents like some kind of aggressive American identity, like violent American identity. He drinks Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yes. There you go. Heineken. <laughs> um, Sandy and Jeffrey are these like, you know, all American kids or whatever. He's he's this Jeffrey's almost the stereotype of this, like, boy come back from college. Actually, I wondered if there was some kind of Hamlet thing going on in this movie. Because his father has been, like... Laid low in some I mean, unknown fa- illness. Yeah, I mean, he's not dead. But, yeah, he's has some kind of freaky illness where he's, like, strapped up to a contraption and his mouth is moving uncontrollably, but he can't speak. I don't know if it was, like, a stroke or a heart attack. It was, okay. It was... I, I'm, I'm just agreeing like with you. Stroke, I don't know what it is. A stroke would make sense. And then it happens yeah. in the garden like the Godfather. I was like, are they trying to pull from, you know, <laughs> Vito Corleone? Come on. Now. I mean, then the little mm-hmm. kid comes out. That's like, why it was kind mm-hmm, of like, are we just, mm-hmm. you know, ripping off the Godfather here? Probably. Reference great films. It's a reference, a homage. Is it or is it a ripoff? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm just like, okay, another thing. Aunt Barbara, when Jeffrey... <laughs> No, 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 hold on. A character that has maybe, (laughs) maybe five lines in the entire film. You're like, this woman ruins it for me. She's important, though. I think that actually the background female actresses in this film are important. Um, Even though they're like, David Lynch doesn't make them actual people. They contribute to an atmosphere that is important. He doesn't make anyone people. They're all characters. Except Jeffrey, because Jeffrey is David. And he's like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Narcissism. (laughs) Narcissism. At its finest. Um, but anyway, what am I trying to say? Aunt Barbara is like, oh, you're not when Jeffrey is going out at the beginning of the film at night. She's like, you're not going over to Lincoln, are you? And he's like, no, I'm just going to walk around the neighborhood. And then you see this like 
ominous shot of like Lincoln, the street sign. And you're like, oh God, he's at Lincoln. Why is he there? (laughs) (laughs) Idiot. Um, But also Frank Booth, like that name choice must be deliberate. Like Mm -hmm. John Wilkes Booth assassinating Lincoln. Okay. He's trying to say something. I don't know what it is exactly. I don't think he knows what it is because he's just throwing stuff into a pot. Like people will see meaning here where there is none. But I'm asking you, I guess, do you think that there's something there, some kind of comment on, like, the relationship between, I don't know, American identity and European identity, some kind of rape of Europe? I don't even know. Oh, oh the rape of Europe? The rape of Europe. Is, is this a, a, an allegory for World War Two? you know? Or, like, America holding come? Europe hostage or something, holding her husband and her child hostage. Is there something there? Because I was, like... I don't know. Also, the character of Ben, the drug, the weird drug dealer who's like dressed almost like a European gentleman. He's wearing makeup. He's wearing a smoking jacket. He has a long cigarette holder. And Dean Stockwell does a wonderful lip syncing rendition in, of uh, In Dreams. In Dreams. It, in Dreams. Dream. Dream logic. Yes, I mean, yes, Come it's on, <laughs> It's not, not that deep. How do you not see this? It's not that deep. It is so, cinema. It is Kino. Like, I see it, but, like, what about I don't think about it? on this one. <laughs> no, no. Um, I don't know. Ben was really interesting to me as a character because I was like, okay, is there something tying that theme together of, like, Europe and America? Because um, also they refer to him over and over again of, like, as uh, ben, Frank says to Ben, you're so suave, you're so suave. And then at the end, you realize that that Frank is the well-dressed man. He's wearing this costume mm-hmm. and he's come up and he has, I don't know. Okay, maybe I'm looking into this too much. I'm trying, see, I am trying to find meaning in a film <laughs> that has no, like it has little themes that are like, we've done that before, David, but it's like, I don't think it's that deep. I don't think it's saying anything. I mean, I'm very interested to hear your analysis on America and uh, Europe's relationship in post-World War II. That sounds very fascinating. See, I um, don't have one. <laughs> I, you, just, you just spent like five minutes explaining no, it. No, I'm asking, is there something there that I missed? Because, Or is David just doing the old David trick of like throwing stuff in there that's like... But the ends are not tied together at all. Um, I think... I mean, if you really want to look at it through, like, Europe and um, America holding Europe hostage, that kind of... I can humor that. Like, I I can definitely read something into that. I mean, yeah, the idea of, you know, the Americana he's invoking is a very specific kind. It's not like 1980s where it's, you know, mass consumerism. You have people driving, Mm -hmm. like, you know new bmws and they have the nice stereo system he's invoking like a 1950s yeah 1950s a post-war america and the idea of oh jeffrey's coming home from college and frank we don't know what he did but you can definitely read something that frank is an incredibly violent and evil man who probably suffered something that ruined him could that be he is a returning war person who has now come home and does not know how to deal with that and because of how America's 50s culture was, is everything's like hunky-dory, guys, we are really coming back from the war. But underneath that is, no, I'm a violent alcoholic who is suffering massive PTSD that I don't know how to do about and whooping the shit out of people. That actually would have been interesting if he had made him a veteran, but he didn't. Well, we don't know. We just know that Booth... (laughs) 
but he if they did, had made it, he you could know. have. He could have made some. He could have had him have some kind of like flashback, some kind of like episode of PTSD, but he didn't. Well, he does have some sort of epic flashback of being abused as a child. When baby wanna fuck oh. mama? Fuck no, 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 no. That's literally that's literally what I can interpret that is of him being interpreting of him trying to like. He was probably abused as a kid, and he's trying to deal with that. And he is—it's a cycle; it's a cyclical nature of abuse. We can read that into. Or his brain is just mush. I mean, again, he is doing a lot of drugs. Okay, let's 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 talk about this because I think that's a valid read. If you're looking at the dialogue, is something that's a little literal to Booth. And I mean, also the name Frank Booth—you know, Death of America. Like he is like this latent, um, decaying American ideal of what a man was of macho you know fuck everyone i can take anyone out in this in this bar if i ever had to because i'm a man i'm an american and jeffrey is like i'm a college kid i drink heineken i'm (laughs) i'm a more sophisticated kind of adult i'm a i am the new liberalized generation of america not this 40s 50s i came back from europe after killing 50 nazis and i'm gonna come home start a farm and beat my wife like it's yeah that may be like I think you're probably analyzing David Lynch's mind <laughs> accurately, but again, I take issue with this because I feel I mean, I like... I was just pulling that shit out of my ass, so... You know. <laughs> well, but he's also doing that, too, so um, that's, how you're that's supposed probably to interpret. accurate. <laughs> no, I guess what I'm saying is I I object to his portrayal of, I don't know, um, Americana. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, uh, okay... Can I go back to Eraserhead, or is that like forbidden? Um, (laughs) Honey, honey, you can go to wherever you want. This is a podcast. Can I talk about Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen? No, Uh, I'm joking. If you want to talk Um, about Confessions of a Mask, I can get my brother. (laughs) Fucking loves uh, fucking Japanese novelists. I'm sure he does. Keep going. Keep going. I don't know. I try to make a reference. Okay. Keep going. Um, I made a reference that didn't land. Keep going. I feel like. Sometimes people want to object to a straw man that isn't there, right? Like you're saying, this character of Frank Booth being this like extremely macho, hyper masculine, aggressive um, character, and Jeffrey Beaumont coming in and being this like more sophisticated new American man or something. But it's like, did that Frank Booth character? really exist like with a racer head like he has this whole the whole premise is that there's some kind of like horror about like domestic life or becoming a father but it's like is there david or are you just like a baby like are you just like, <laughs> are you just being a pussy about it basically <laughs> like are you just like an immature 13 year old boy who again like needs to just keep a diary like you, is you there know he really... does keep a diary right i'm sure he does <laughs> it, like, things should just stay in your diary david <laughs> but no i mean like um i guess i i love a male perspective i actually prefer male authors to female authors like i i really I, yeah i just feel like i prefer their voice but i like a mature male <laughs> perspective not like a you know prepubescent boy who's like life is hard things are scary not a fan of Catch on the Rye. Help. No, I hate that book. Fucking same. Same. I hate that book. It is, it is, it is 200 pages of a run-on sentence. I, right? It, and oh. like, oh, you want to talk about run-on sentences? Like, this whole movie is like stream of consciousness. Like, just like, I also hate Virginia Woolf. It's like, just throw this stuff together and like, <laughs> someone will find meaning. You Really? You hate Virginia Woolf? Totally lame. 
Like, I'm, I'm a literature major. I hate Virginia <laughs> Woolf. I'm, now I'm trying to think, is there anything that you do enjoy? No, I hate everything. I knew it. I no, knew you know, it. Okay, wait. Do, do she people is the need straw a, man. Do people need a frame of reference? <laughs> Love Dostoevsky. Oh, Love, God, yeah, like, you're calling me pretentious, Jesus No, that's Christ. not pretentious. So He's pretentious. a great, like, Russian authors in general. Tolstoy, wonderful. Um, what else? I mean, you guys know I like The Color of Pomegranates. She doesn't enjoy herself she sucks. Twilight. She sucks. <laughs> Twilight, man. I went there when I was 14. <laughs> you're like, that is the well I will always come back to. It's fine. Twilight is, like, really straightforward. I mean, at least it's, it is what it is. It's not pretending to be anything else. So that I'm cool with that. But anyways, going back to Eraserhead. Yeah, I just feel like he creates like horror where there is none. And it's his, I think it's like a cop out in terms of like, again, not saying anything that deep, but trying to make things seem edgy, trying to make them seem like totally crazy, man. <laughs> so Kevin never had that look on his face, like, you know, Jack Nance and Eraserhead, you know, look. No, my husband is a man. <laughs> He's <laughs> not no David Lynch. I didn't marry a teenager. No, I was Thank like, this, you. this guy is like, yeah. He's 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 a Hispanic man. He's got machismo. Okay? Yes, like real. Like oh, shout out to my husband. <laughs> he's gonna listen back to this and he's like, I do not approve. Oh. Please cut go back, cut me out of this episode. We have to redact his name. Um yeah, I mean, you might be right, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about, can we talk about the edible, edible complex that may be here? Because you brought it up of, like, Frank's trauma of, like, mommy, daddy, I, baby. Again, yeah. I, I, yeah, we can bring that up because, again, I feel there is that point of, Blue Velvet is talking about the cyclical nature of abuse. I mean, that, that whole scene, you know, the, um. The rape. The, yeah, the rape of um, Dorothy, or Dorothy basically tries to rape Jeffrey, and then we see Frank raping uh, Dorothy. Dorothy, and then it's then she and Jeffrey start a relationship, and she can only really get there if she is being abused in a way. And I feel there is this weird, like psychosexual relation going on of this uh, cyclical nature of abuse and. Mm -hmm. Then when she's trying to have a normal relationship, she's like, well, I'm so in this way that I can't get there without being abused in some way. So I think there is merit to that in the film. Madame, would you like to <laughs> to refute my arguments? Um, I agree that it's there. I don't know what merit it has or whether it's like edifying in any kind of way. It reminds me of like a lot of exploitation films deal with stockholm syndrome and it's like yeah that's like that's messed up yeah you feel bad for dorothy that you know who knows how long this is going on for her but mm -hmm. she's just so screwed up in this way that she thinks that this is love you know doing this to jeffrey i don't she, yeah where she's like you know she has feelings for him but it's still you know i need you to beat me up so you feel content and he's trying to tell her no i don't want to hit you i don't want to hurt you I don't feel bad for her though. I <laughs> <You still care>? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I do feel bad that like she's. I mean, okay, as a woman watching that scene, it's horrific because you're like, this is horrible yeah. to watch. I mean, I hope as a human being that's horrible uh, yeah. to watch. Y yes, yes. <laughs> Men have souls. I feel we've know. been over this. Good to know. Um, you had your doubts, but she's <laughs> no, no. 
I love men. I'm not like a hater. <laughs> but um I mean, you have how many brothers? I have eight eight brothers, full blood, and I have oh, two oh, wow. sons. I have two half brothers. <laughs> wow. wow. Shots fired. Yeah, no, no. I I have no issue with men. I have issue with like David Lynch. David Lynch and like specific men who are <laughs> silly and that man. Silly little boys, yeah. Um but yeah, Dorothy is just like, I don't know, do I feel bad for her? She's being raped, that's horrible, but it's also like, girl, like you had apparently like a husband and a little boy. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom. I'm like, get it together, yo. Well, like, well, in the story, like, Frank kidnapped them to basically force her to be his sex slave. Right. So, I mean, like, being like, ah, honey, you got a, you got a man and a husband. Victim blaming. You're no, no, no. I'm not blaming blame. her. She's literally being held captive. What annoys me is just, <laughs> I guess, all of her dialogue, which is like, hold me. I'm hold fa- me jeffrey I'm, hold me i'm falling hold me he put his disease inside me it's like oh my god woman <laughs> shut up like you are messed up in the head like yeah i mean okay being abused husband child being held hostage horrible being raped obviously horrible okay yeah, horrible things horrible things but she's just so annoying i guess it's the way that he wrote her again she's not a person i feel like she's just a terrible victim who's hypersexualized. Oh, oh, he does this in all his movies. <laughs> the and disdain in your voice is yes, palatable. because it's like, can women be people? I mean, I guess I can make an excuse for it in this movie because, like, everybody is a projection of Jeffrey's mind, and that's my that is my interpretation of it. That like Frank is actually a side of him that he is scared of. That really, I could say that this movie is actually about. Uh, it's like a it's like a buildings roman, like a coming of age story about Jeffrey Beaumont who comes home from college in this again weird Hamlet scenario where his father is like rendered, I don't know, I guess to go with the whole Oedipal sexual theme, like rendered impotent when he falls down. The did you notice like <laughs> there's a kink in the hose? Okay, mm-hmm. there's like there's a kink in the hose, and then he falls to the ground, and the hose is like. First of all, there's all of this water that causes that that comes from the kink, right? That's just like ready to like just blow. Erupt, yes. Okay, there's all this phallic stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, he's been edging for years. Yes. <laughs> God, you're bringing um, this up. I'm just riffing because it's. I, I'm trying to find some kind of relevance. Okay. Well, I think there's relevance there. I think you you are coming on to a really good interpretation. Okay. Well, his because father, you like David Lynch. Secretly. I don't. I don't. <laughs> his father falls to the ground. He's holding up this hose. This hose is like spewing uncontrollably. He's. It looks phallic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you have this rabid, insane dog coming and like drinking from it. This is that one of the initial shots. I sound like a crazy person <laughs> describing this. Yes. Um. And then you have the baby looking on. That to me, this is just like this is the film the entire film in one shot which is like innocence like the baby maybe portraying like sandy even dorothy to an extent um jeffrey one side of jeffrey and then the dog is frank and male aggression and this like insane thirst to like lap it up i don't even know but um you were going somewhere and you kind of lost me okay sorry okay (laughs) that shot is about what's going on inside jeffrey beaumont okay basically like just coming into 
his understanding of sexual desire and having these two conflicting, um, you know, motivations. Like one is for Sandy, this like pure idyllic, um, girl next door, girl next door love. Yes. And then, and then his strange attraction to Dorothy, who again, practically rapes him is mysterious, dark. Okay. And Frank is a projection of that. Frank is like this, this, um, baser desire. Yeah, this personification of male aggression, violence that scares Jeffrey. That's why after he backhands Dorothy and he's sitting on the edge of his bed, like remembering it and he's crying, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, crap, like, am I like him? You know, is that really me? Um, or am I a nice guy? Am I a pervert? Or am I, you know, a detective? Am I a villain or am I a hero? Um, yeah, I don't know. And you're like, <sighs> There's nothing there, bro. There is, but it's like, I still don't think it's done well. Again, because it's just, it's messy. Okay, it's messy. It's, again, pretentious. I feel like, yeah. I feel like also that theme is not, like, again, Buildings for a Man. How many people have done that? (laughs) People have done it better. You just don't like homage or reference. it's a pastiche. What, boo? You've been quiet over there. How are you? you know enjoying this back and forth okay some people do references like in an actually genius way like look at like ancient like roman authors okay like like virgil okay that's like jeff's <laughs> can, can we get one more please thank you <laughs> just to burst the eardrum. Oh, perfect um fuck where, where are we going now because we're talking? We started on the Oedipal complex, and we went yeah. to a very to um, Jeffrey in this Hamlet wig. Were we talking about the cycle of abuse a second ago? We were. I don't actually believe that Frank is. I mean, you're suggesting that Frank Booth experienced abuse hmm. in his and childhood. I don't know if there's even enough in there to substantiate that. I, I mean, think he's just a sadistic drug addict who's perverted. What's some weird kinks? I yeah. mean, weird. I mean, the the line in the movie, <sighs> "Baby wanna fuck" in in the movie, and she keeps saying, "Mommy loves you." You're telling me there's nothing there. What about the "Don't look at me"? Uh, your eyes just went really wide. Did you forget she says that? No, I remember it. I'm like, you're saying there's nothing. No, no, no. There. I'm remembering. As well, when she goes to see her son, there's one moment behind closed doors where she sees sees her son, and she's like, no, no, mommy loves you, and says it again. Okay, what do you mean there's nothing there? Like, that he's never experienced abuse? No, I think think he is. I think Frank's experienced... I think, again, I'm not excusing Frank. I think he is, again, a personification of evil. But I think that there is something to be said about this cyclical nature of abuse in this uh, film, and I think... You know, when she goes um, behind those closed doors, you know, finally sees her son and says, don't worry, mommy loves you, mommy loves you. I'm wondering if this is a, maybe it is, maybe that's what the whole movie is actually talking about, is, that's the theme, is the whole abuse is cyclical? I wonder if that's something that, that the movie is trying to talk about, you know, like, evil men create evil men. Jeffrey trying to be a good man is being corrupted and that's you know jeffrey becomes an evil man through frank through his interaction that's why when he hits um dorothy then it's like oh he is giving into that evil and the ending of the movie is you know dream or whatever he wakes up from the nightmare 
is he's like, you know, the Robin eating the bug. He's like, okay, I can choose to be good or evil. Maybe it's that's what the movie's about is his choice. You know, when he reflects and cries on the bed and he's like, I don't want to be Frank. I want to be something else. Like, maybe that's the movie. It's humans can choose to be good or evil. You can choose to continue a cycle of abuse or you can choose to stop it. That's humanity. Maybe that's what the movie's about. It's about humanity. I mean, it could be. I again, like, okay, and (laughs) and like, okay, give me no leg to stand on. No, no, no. I, I um, am not going to argue that that may be true. Like, that makes a lot of sense. It's a very like solid interpretation. I just think, like, okay, and (laughs) you're like, like, and so. I guess, I guess, I expect like observe a work of art like a film a book whatever that there should be some okay what is the purpose like is it edifying does it um using big words do what does it do yeah like no i mean mean? yeah does it have some kind of like moral um merit does it like for instance okay i was i was somebody singing (laughs) i think i think people are singing outside the building um I was talking about how his his movies are like so far removed from reality from me that they just and they're also like the anxieties <laughs> they feel like the anxieties of an immature teenage boy. Um, wow, that they talking don't work shit on me. my people. I see. <laughs> but I will say, okay, there are plenty of amazing like fantasy films and stories that are like high fantasy, right? And people would say are completely like you know feature dragons and knights and whatever. But actually, these are not as removed from reality because they they comment on things that are true to the human experience. Like, for example, warning uh, warning the the viewer against like things that are inside the human spirit that are dangerous, like revenge or whatever, or um, inspiring virtue. Right. The same same with science fiction. Right. With fantasy, science fiction, these genres they actually comment like very heavily on reality. But for me, like, this is, uh, it's too far-fetched. Like, it's too surreal. It's too much of, like, Lynch just being, like... It's 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 too weird for you? It's solipsistic. That's what it is. It's, like, Lynch Ooh, in his own little that's, world. That's a thing. $5 word. We no, can't afford a, that in that, the budget. That's a $10 word. <laughs> we can't afford that on the podcast. No, really, like, I would say he's further, like, right? Narcissist is somebody who's, like, obsessed with themselves and their reality. But, but... To, I mean, I would go as far as to say that his quote unquote realities that he creates are solipsistic because it's like it's beyond narcissism. This is like nothing else exists. There's no reality outside of my mind. And it's like, well, well shoot. Well, there's, <laughs> well, that's the nature of filmmaking. There's no reality outside of the frame. Films are completely, you know, conjured. There's no. And I think that's that's the thing. You know, a lot of like classic films, you know, you go back for the first 50 60 years of filmmaking most of the movies the dialogue's not real the characters aren't three-dimensional characters they're all projections and i think that's the thing about this movie and lynch's style is he's making just movies in a very base sense like like everything in the frame that's the reality these people don't exist outside of the frame they only exist here in this you know in these celluloid prints that's why they're so what is the point of it as a work of art if it doesn't comment significantly on reality like okay like you're saying that's that's the case with every film that's the case with every story but i don't know i just 
is there substance there? Like, is there a significant amount of substance? I would say no. I would say that Lynch is so ambiguous. The ends are so loose. He's so, his character is so narcissistic that there's like really not much to say about it. I don't feel like he's making um, some kind of like overarching comment on human, like the human condition or, or even like human emotions. I think that he's literally just speaking through the mouthpiece of Jeffrey Beaumont and being like, sometimes I feel attracted to perverted things. And it's like, okay, (laughs) that's what I'm getting. I see your point. I just don't agree with it. Or maybe it's just too, um, maybe I'm just a woman. (laughs) (laughs) David Lynch doesn't make movies for you. He doesn't. I really don't think he does, which is okay. I mean, women can make movies for women that are really meant would go over men's heads or wouldn't matter to them or to their experience. But, um, I don't know. It's just, it feels really angsty to me. (laughs) Adolescent. It's like, you can work through these feelings, David. David, you're okay. (laughs) Did you need to make a movie about it? Did you need to film a traumatic scene? I mean, I guess to get into that, like the movie was kind of his blank check. I guess the the history of David Lynch, right? He makes a razor head for literally no money. He basically makes it over the course of like five, seven years, just like piecemealing it together in film school. And then his first like real movie that he got to make was Elephant Man, uh, produced by Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, which if I haven't you haven't seen it. Okay. That Same. one's not like weird, surreal dream. That is a, it is a period drama with Anthony Hopkins in it. It is a, an incredibly human film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one I would recommend to you, even if you hate David Lynch, it is the least David Lynch, most like real movie movie you could watch by the man. Cool. Mm-hmm. Watch Elephant Man. And then he gets his big budget break with Dune. And Dune was going to be like a failure, right? huge bomb, huge <laughs> fucking bomb. Basically, he was going to make it. Uh, then the producers were like, yeah, you're going to make um, a two part film. So but they cut the budget in half or they cut the film in half. And basically, it was a huge train wreck. And the producer was like, hey, David, I'm sorry. I kind of fucked you over on Dune. I'll give you six million dollars to make whatever the fuck you want. And he was like, all right. And he made Blue Velvet. So this is pretty much his throwing every little thing in his head on the screen. Because I think he was probably on the assumption. He's like, I'm never making anything after this. Like Dune was Like, Dune was a bomb. I'm going to put everything Throw here. Throw all the stuff in. It every, doesn't make any sense. All his weird eccentricities. All his weird, you know, brain stuff. I feel this, is a, this movie is just an incredibly personal... Um, document of david lynch at this time and how he kind of viewed the world maybe even even how he viewed his own childhood again i don't i don't know like how fucked up that sounds but i mean you know it might be a thing where this is how he viewed his you know adolescence or coming into adulthood i'm gonna play devil's advocate please for a sec okay is this is this good you'll like it i hope um all right i mean dorothy as weird and messed up as she is and like i said i mean she was in the wizard of oz yes yes no not that dorothy (laughs) dorothy valance that name is like weird too it's kind of freaky i don't know why it's a noir name yeah i guess so she can represent a lot of things right i mean i was trying to (laughs) figure out whether she was representing europe or something um, or just like mystery or like temptation or forbidden desire or whatever. But um, as a mother figure, 
There's something there, right? Obviously, when she's naked on Jeffrey's lawn and Mike is ready to beat him up. And he's, he's like, like, I'm so sorry, bro. You got you got way worse shit going worse on. Problems. Yeah, because he's Mike's like friend coming out of the car. I thought you were gonna kill him. <laughs> he's like, what? He's like, bro, away? bro, you see that going on? He's got way worse shit going on than I can That's ever also give. a really interesting moment because they think that he's Frank for a minute yeah. when they're when he's chasing him in the car and then he gets out and you're like, whoa, is Mike about to like kind of mirror Frank because he's got his cronies, there's like three dudes behind mm-hmm. him and you're like, oh, the, God. the bros rolled up. Yeah, yeah, like the American boy is a, who's a football player is about to become Frank, which could have been interesting. But was that you in high school? I didn't have a car in high school, so no. <laughs> but you were one of the football guys. That is not I'm, beans I'm, at all. No. <laughs> You're so mean. You're so yes. call, Don't call me beans. <laughs> Why not so I call rude. you beans? So rude. I do so it rude. for Becky. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I love my cousin, okay? Um, that could have been an interesting moment, but Lynch doesn't go there because Lynch doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like so that. So rude. So rude. <laughs> I think he, she came I, with sound effects today. I love it. I think he knows what he's doing. They're never inviting me here again. Oh no, I, oh, no we're gonna invite you again. I, this I is a very engaging conversation. We'll talk about you it guys, you know, party. I'm just doing this for the controversy, right? Oh like, yeah. Just kidding. Se- I don't secret, like David Lynch. Secretly but... loves the man. Oh, she loves the straight story. It's the Disney film. He I made. go home. My husband is like, "When are you gonna get rid of that closet? It's just like filled with like posters of David Lynch." And I just I go in there to the like. You have you a know, weird baby from a racer head in there. I do, and I like go in there for thirty minutes every night. And he's like, "We have kids. What are you doing?" And you're like, "I need to drop mushrooms and watch thirty minutes of a racer head. Mm-hmm, I need I mm-hmm. need this in my life." Exactly. I need my like Your Lynchian time. yeah fix. Anyway, <laughs> God, that is something that would be in one of his movies because it's not <laughs> messed up. But um, okay, Dorothy being this mother figure, she's obviously actually a mother. She has a little boy. Um, she refers to herself as mommy. Mommy, yes, unfortunately. Uh-uh. Um, and then okay, hold that thought. Okay, I want to talk about. In, I yes. want to talk about colors related. Like that's it's related to this. When you go, when he first goes into her apartment, it's like very barren. There's, I mean, there's not a lot of furniture in there. But you notice, like, the colors that he chose for her apartment are, like, it's a very lush pink. Mm-hmm. Okay. And obviously, he's entering in there without her permission. This is, like, an analogy. Yeah. 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 Um, but her her apartment is, like, she's an older woman. She's mature. She's a mother. And her apartment has <laughs> vaginal vibes. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the film, we see inside Sandy's room when he's on the phone with her. And she has this little girl, you know, teenage girl, but still has a little girl room. It's very white, but the accents in it are pink. And it's this opposite image of white, like this girlish girl. It's, it, I mean, I think there's there's an idea here of like um, the Madonna horror complex, right? Mm. Which is like also existing with the Jeffrey of like, that... where is my desire? Where does my desire lie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also there's some kind of comment here, possibly on like, what it means to be a mother and also like a sexual being because obviously a woman who has children has had sex she's not virginal she's not quote pure anymore unless you're the virgin mary shout out to my girl the virgin mary. <laughs> shout out your girl mary what's up there's a reason why she is a perpetual virgin okay because of this issue actually which is like how do we have this this maybe he's maybe if david lynch were 
intelligent. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, come now. All right. He's intelligent. If he was a smart dude, he and he had some kind of insight into, like, female identity, he might be saying that there's some kind of um, complex here between, like, being a mother and representing to a child something purity, nur- something, you know, nur- nurturing and 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 gentle and sweet and then there's but it's like but how can my mom right and people haven't touched on this before but how can my mom have sex like because that's kind of opposite it could potentially be oppositional because your mom Uh, got down and dirty i mean going on that i think there's there's something there because I'm going to use Becky's favorite line in this movie. No. But, no. You know, I don't want to hear it. But the whole thing is like, you know, mommy loves you. She says it in the midst of a, you know, yeah. sexual act. And she yeah. says it the same to her kid. And they mean two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that thing where it's just like, you know, she is a mother. And I mean. How can the these sake, things coexist? How do these things Again, coexist? Again, with the robin and the bug. Yeah. And also her. The crux of her character is she's a woman who will do anything to ensure her child is safe including the horrible things Frank will put her through. Yeah. Because she's not I doing any so. of this for... My question is how her child got into this predicament in the first place. But Frank maybe, saw Blue Velvet. Maybe her, maybe her husband actually... There's a question of whether her husband was involved in some shady stuff. That 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 was my thought. I, her I husband think that's, looks like a rough dude. I mean, he's sitting there with his ear cut off and a bullet in his head. I assume there's some sort of thing also there. Also from the photo... That she's that he sees, um, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, Jeffrey yes. sees a photo of her yeah, with the marriage certificate taped to the back, which hey, I mean, it has it, no year on it. Yeah, be, because this is a story that takes place in no time, particular it, time. Yeah, it's this story that's just kind of yet, wavy. But he chooses, in, like for instance, the ambulance that picks her up is like this, like ultra 1950s retro ambulance, and you're like fire truck, and then. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey's car is a little bit more modern than mm-hmm. the stuff from the fifties. He's dressed; they're dressed like it's the eighties. Yeah, except well, he, for Sandy. Well, because Jeffrey Sandra came D. from college. <laughs> or Jeffrey came from college outside of this town of is it called Lumberton? Lumberton. Lumberton. Yeah, that's cause, also significant. Yeah, because he's like out because because it's wood. We're talking about hardwood now, but he's coming wait from minute, outside. He's I've coming from it. the eighties back to this fifties world. Mm-hmm. You know? Or you just take this it back is... to Twin Peaks, and you know. The lumber mill, that, that's a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He grew up in this, you know, agricultural lumber town environment, you know, more, you know. I just want to touch on that real quick. Please, yes. <laughs> when you hear the radio at the beginning of the film, it says, this is the mighty wood. Get those chainsaws <laughs> out. Lumberton, USA. There's clamor in the pines. It's like, well, here we keep going with the, again, male aggression, phallic energy. It all goes back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's saying, totally. you know, he's saying, cut your wood down, you know, like, calm down, guys. Don't be so fucking horny. Mm, or, you know, mm, break maybe. out both chainsaws. It's going to be a nice sunny day. Just, you know. Okay, wait. I have too many thoughts right now. A lot, um, of, a lot of thoughts. <laughs> There's also that scene. Okay. His dad owns a hardware store, which is like man stuff. Mm-hmm. And with one of the greatest cashiers in town. He's blind. Yeah. Are you talking about the blind man? Yes. Who is also magic. Okay, and they're selling. There's a scene where he's selling a giant axe to like a fat man who you maybe presume is like a a lumberjack. He's a lumberjack. He's wearing flannel and he's smoking a cigar in the shop. And you're like, whoa! All this like male energy is like bringing it in. Um, <laughs> so 
sorry. This whole podcast um, is going to be retitled Blue Velvet He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sorry enough. Sorry, not sorry. Um, yeah. Why did I bring this up? Um, because not every day you see a lumberjack smoking a cigar buying an axe. <laughs> well, there's that. He works at a hardware store, you know. Yeah, Very yeah. Very man, but... masculine things. Lumberton. You're talking about Dorothy also being a mom who will do anything for her children. Child. She's she's a hero. And then you were talking about her husband. Rough dude. Rough looking dude. I have no clue, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Completely gloss. I had too many ideas, and then they like just. And and you're saying this movie's bad because it gives you all these ideas and points of analysis. No, I'm saying that this movie is bad because actually, yes. <laughs> there's too much stuff going on in the hodgepodge of blue velvet that david lynch doesn't even know what it means and we're just there to, he he totally intended this he was like people are gonna leave the theater scratching their heads and being like oh my gosh let me piece this together david lynch the mastermind the genius and it's like america's favorite director how easy is that to do I could, like, make the most ridiculous, like, movie and put a bunch of stuff in it that people would, yeah, again, symbols that people would seek to interpret. And they might see, this is what I hate to, as a literature student, when you're studying a text, people are like, well, maybe it's this, well, maybe it's that, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, some of that is completely unfounded. And, like, it's not there. I don't know. I feel like the the artist has an obligation to at least like draw some lines some boundaries to actually know what the thing is about which is hard to do because david lynch refuses to explain his work as like a fundamental thing because he can't because <laughs> well, he's a poser <laughs> well he's his thing oh, God. is what he has said is like the whole point and the reason he loves movies is how you as an audience interpret it he mm-hmm. feels that so he you explains do his job it for him Yes. Wow. Dude, this is what pisses me off. <laughs> it's like, uh, have you guys read Death in Venice by uh, Thomas no. Mann? Or no. seen the Visconti uh, no. uh, adaptation? <laughs> no. You're looking at me like, uh, yes. No. <laughs> no. I, have not, I have not seen nor heard of that before. Death in Venice is, and oh my gosh, I could bring Death in Venice into uh, Sunset Boulevard because oh, i'm not gonna go there sunset i really Boulevard is your do, new favorite like, movie. i want to do like podcast two sunset boulevard everything i missed on the first viewing i'd be down yeah death in venice is about an artist who has been celebrated his whole life as this genius i think i believe he's a musical composer it's been a while since i've read this okay and people have you know just celebrated him and then he goes on a vacation to venice and becomes infatuated with this young boy actually who it doesn't um, represent something else. Okay, it's not just about pedophilia. And it's not nothing, just about. No, 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 no. Nothing. Nothing graphic. It's happens. a very Hollywood story. Yes, yes. It's oh God, but it's basically a, he dies at the end. Okay, of the story, and it's because he's a fake. He's a phony, and people have just seen things in his work that aren't there that he, well, he never intentionally put there, but they've done all the work for him as an artist. And he basically gets, this is this death in Venice is a process of him being found out, him being exposed that at the center of actually the boy represents his art and the boy's very beautiful from the outside. But on the inside, you see that like his teeth are rotting 
And there are all of these, Thomas Mann is an actual genius, okay? There are all of these symbols throughout the book of like things decaying from the inside and actually, okay, which is in the Lynch, or Lynch is trying to get there, but he doesn't quite, so doesn't do like it well. So it's like Exactly. It always comes back to Coco. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, it sounds to me like you're kind of describing Blue Velvet, you know? It's I'm like, not, it's like he, he's <laughs> painting this beautiful, Coco. he's painting this beautiful picturesque, you know, world, and it's like, no, inside it's all, it's all decayed. It's all bad. Maybe it's a thing where it's like American culture at one, you know, it looks great, but it's all bad on the inside. You know, oh, there's, you know, oh, the eye roll is, <laughs> are you stroking out? The eye roll went too far back. You I'm know? dying right now. No, uh, I, sure. No, 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 no. I would agree with you that he's saying that America you, looks all hunky-dory, but underneath there's bad stuff. And it's like, That's okay. a great David Lynch impression, by the way. <laughs> it's like, I wasn't trying to, but it's like, yeah, like, that's the story of the world. But, like, that's not what, that's not what Death in Venice is. Death, Death in Venice is so much better done and isn't really about just humans being nasty and dirty underneath. It's really about art and about how, like, people like David Lynch are posers. <laughs> But people make him see this is the cult of David Lynch that I disagree with. And that he's just like, you know, profited from, which is irritating. I mean, I feel <laughs> you can make that argument for almost any artist. No, because some artists know what they're doing, dude. So, okay, some artists, but like every artist. No, like, that's why I don't like some people. I like wow, others. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's this whole thing of people who overanalyze work where it's like that's not that's intent. not there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's um, I read I think I referenced this in another in a, the other episode we did. Um, Cine Lumet directed Twelve Angry Men. He talked to Akira Kurosawa, who was like just finished mm -hmm. making Ron, and he was like, "Oh, this shot you have of the of them coming over the mountain and the sun, it's like it was so beautiful. How did you come up with that composition? Like, there's so much to read into that." He was like, well, if I move the camera three inches to the left, you would have seen, seen the Tokyo airport. And if I did three inches to the right, you would have seen the Kodak printing plant. So that wouldn't have worked. So that's why it's composed like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like that's a thing where, you know, actually making the movie and how certain things are composed and how it works together is just practicality. 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 Yeah. Like you're reading into things that sure might not that are just like not there because it's like. Well, why is why are we looking down into the room? Because that's the only way where we could put the fucking camera. That's why it's like shot like this. It finally happened. I finally got you to see. Sometimes these things just happen. There's no meaning behind mm -hmm. it. It's just well, the, well, the meaning comes into the fact that they now make the conscious choice to put it into the movie. And, and sometimes, right, an art uh, work of art like it transcends what was intended by the director or the author and that's that's okay if it has significance for people but i really feel like there, again there's nothing that deep that lynch is saying in this okay again I with disagree. it even with dorothy okay dorothy valens going back to her being a mom and like how can this these two things coexist purity and <laughs> whatever you want to call it mm. Piracy like, and desire okay, to bang. I mean, yes. yeah, that's that's life. But what about it? Like, I, I don't know. I wish there was something more there, but there isn't. I mean, we've literally spent like an hour and a half of you <laughs> going very deeply and analyzing every part of this movie. And you're like, there's nothing there. But and then continue to find more things to talk about. 
I just feel like um, because David Lynch threw a bunch of stuff in there intentionally so that we would sit here and analyze it on the Film Club podcast. <laughs> years and years later. He yeah, was playing the long like, game. He is. He is. She can be so many things, too. She's like the damsel in the stress, mm-hmm. the whore in the whore Madonna, or even both. She could be both the whore and the Madonna because she's literally a Madonna, mm-hmm. she, you know, right? So many things. Europe, mystery, transgression. Whatever. She she's the dream. Yeah. Well, she's Dorothy, you know. Was it yeah. once? Yeah. Can we segue to something that I wanted to ask about? <laughs> yes. Because yes. I'm so sick of Dorothy. Please. Um colors, like light in this film is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I noticed that um oh, we were talking a little bit about like the pink rooms. Um and the vaginas, yes. The vaginal rooms and also cars as spaces is interesting. Because I feel like cars are also kind of a symbol of male aggression or can be. Wow, just throwing down all of car culture. Wow. (laughs) No, in in this in this film. No, I love cars too, (laughs) guys. I love cars. (laughs) She really likes cars. Cars Couldn't live without them. Yeah. No, but um the way he uses light is interesting, I guess. Because (laughs) (laughs) rolled her eyes again. I noticed there are three types of light in this film, or, or at least I identified three types of light. There's red light, there's blue light, there's white light. Mm-hmm. red white and blue obviously colors the american flag god bless america but also i'm like what do they represent because they come in at different points in the film the blue i don't know i was like maybe symbolizing obviously sadness or something like somber or um i mean the biggest point where we mysterious. see blue is when she's singing blue velvet where this entire wash with that and the song blue velvet is kind of a heartbreaking song mm-hmm. so I think there's something, there's definitely stuff there, but I, I forget where the red light comes in, uh, honestly. So where's that Red part? light <laughs> seems to come in when there's like danger or aggression um, or anger. Like um, when they're in the car, uh, when Frank has taken Dorothy and Jeffrey, his friends. <laughs> for, for a joyride, you know. For a joyride to Ben's to, to get murdered. Or, what does he say? Let's get killed or something? I think he says let's fuck, but that's besides the point. Also, you got to talk about that too. You, you also got to admit that words. Um, yes, words. words are great. You have to admit this. Admit this. When Dennis Hopper, when Frank Booth is like, "Don't want to go for a ride, Jeffrey," in that whole back and forth is genius. You want to go for a ride, Jeff? No, I don't think I want to. Want to do what? Go for a ride? A ride? Yeah, we should go for a ride. I can, I love that back and forth. It's so fun. Because that's what you do. That exactly. Just reminds Swiss me of people my, words around. one of my good friends who has extreme ADD, and she's like. Yeah, that's what, yeah, we're going to do what I wanted to do, right? Just totally manipulating the conversation. It's perfect. I love it. I love manipulating the conversation. Also, we have Jack Nance as one of uh, Frank's cronies. I also thought that one of the other people was Keith or Sutherland, but it was not. It was was not. It looked just like I had to look it up. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Because I was like, like, is that, there's a fish in the percolator. I'm like, it is him. He's one of the cronies. Jack Nance is in every Lynch film until he dies, I think. Also, I didn't know that Jack Nance had a, he died of homicide. Yeah, yeah. He got, um, what happened, I think he was waiting for a donut shop to open and some guys like beat him up and like mugged him. And then like it caused like a brain hemorrhage and he died like a couple, like a couple hours later. He died the next day. What a way to go. Like. There he went. And I didn't know that he went tragically. I was like, wow, that's kind of a... Great segue for Blue Velvet we got here. Uh, well, Poor yeah. Jack Nance. I mean, this would be out of a Lynch movie. 
It does sound very Lynchian. That's what I was kind of surprised. Getting beaten like, to death outside of a donut shop. Well, <laughs> it's like, you thought that donut shops were nice, didn't you? You thought they were American, but they're not. People die outside of donut shops. It's like, dude, give it a rest. Like, chill. So? But this is real life. It's like, okay. I mean, that was real life. That's that was up. real life, but... Oh, you're so mad. He's showing real life on the screen. How dare he? How dare he? <laughs> First of all, how dare you? So what the fuck were we talking about? We're talking, we're talking about, about light. light. Yeah. Yes. We're talking about light. I was saying, okay, what does the red, white, and blue symbolize? I think it's supposed to be emotional. The blue symbolizing like mystery, sadness. The red symbolizing anger. There's in the car when Frank calls... I think it's Frank who calls Jeffrey a pussy. <laughs> mm. Red light flashes across his face. And then that's just one example of like, okay, what is this symbolizing? Maybe aggression or whatever. Conflict. And then there's white light, which is like sublime. There's the scene where um, at the end where Jeffrey and Sandy are kissing in the hallway right after everything's happened. And there's like this transcendent white light that like washes over them and that silly song is playing in the background that's like I love <laughs> forever uh, in darkness or some shit it's yes. very confusing it's like didn't you just blow Frank away and now oh we could live happily ever that's after another thing I mean too, Frank's though. dead okay wait I want to talk about the F word in this film and guns again because what the heck is that That's that last scene is so important when when Jeffrey shoots Frank through the head, mm -hmm. he's hiding in a closet again where he, which obviously is a symbol in itself. Okay. I'm not saying he's gay. I'm saying that. <laughs> that that's what it is. He's getting, he's, he's getting gay. through it. He's gay. Maybe he's, somebody would probably make an argument for like blue velvet being gay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna get into that right now. But he's hiding in the closet. I got a paper where, to write for Pride Month. Give me a second. Yeah, June, where he's like in there, where he initially saw Dorothy, you know, in her compromising state, and um, and by the way, after Frank rapes her, she's laying on the ground, I believe, with her legs open, and he stands up and he looks at her and he's like, "Stay alive for." Van Gogh or something, right, for her husband whose ear has been cut off. And in that last scene, what's his name? Frank opens the closet door. He's got his gun, which has the piece of blue velvet wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the gun, again, being a symbol of male aggression, being phallic. And he's like, he's ready to just like blow Jeffrey away. Sorry for that. Mm. Um, blow him away. Yes, yes. very the, not not me, having double meaning and, at and all. And then man. you know, okay. Jeff blows him first. Yes, oh, he breaks the fourth mm -hmm. wall. Here we are now <laughs> as voyeurs, and 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 Frank is you know breaking the fourth wall, and he opens the closet door, and Jeffrey shoots him straight in the head. And when he's you see him laying there, it's just like Dorothy laying there after she's been raped. And his brains are blown out all over the floor. And he's got her, he's picked up her blue velvet rope, which is like laying across him. He's got his gun in his hand, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, what is going on here? There's something going on here about like, I don't know, male, again, Frank being like a, an aspect of, of, of Jeffrey's mind or trying to like murder this evil male sexual motivation inside of himself like finally overcoming it he's gotta kill this 
uncontrollable uh thing desire whatever it may be aggression for him to like grow up to like get to be like an adult if we want to use this as a coming of age story you know he's like i can't be a frank i can't have this frank booth aggression and a sexual aggression desire whatever and be a adult you know i have to crush that like frank you can say is like that you know teenage boy i can't you know you know it's all just aggression it is all just wanting to bang you know he's saying i want to fuck he doesn't want to have sex he wants to fuck that's like something a 13 year old boy would have the concept of yeah yeah, i'm gonna go fuck which ties into his issues of like mommy baby daddy okay but also when when he when he takes jeffrey to beat him up with his friends and he puts on the lipstick and goes pretty 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 (laughs) disturbing that's just dennis hopper being a fucking god all right fucking greatest Um, one of the great actors of his generation he keeps calling him he keeps calling jeffrey a fucker i hate saying this i try not to curse but he keeps calling him that don't worry i'm doing it a lot this time yeah yeah forgive me um he calls he keeps calling him that word and it's like this is a this word is significant because it is the representation of like of sex in as violence which again i think is significant like like that that frank uses this word over and over and over and over again it's like why is he using the f word so much but it's the basically describing sex in a violent aggressive way as opposed to a right like um beautiful thing that could be sacred right i mean that could be life-giving that is the source of all life okay on earth um it's become this like sick thing i don't know that he has to kill right that he has to destroy Mm. don't think i'm giving lynch any credit for this (laughs) it sounds like you've been doing nothing but giving him credit you guys this is just me this is all me (laughs) to talk about narcissism no i'm just like trying to like find meaning where there is maybe there is meaning but i mean one thing you know we'll to let you know that might make you like david lynch more he too does not swear really yeah it's a really weird thing like he'll like sometimes he'll like swear about something but for the most part everyone he's ever like worked with in the scene where he's giving direction for you know um dennis hopper you know saying like you're gonna go and say that word ted you know right he wouldn't say the f-bomb in front of like isabella rossellini when he was like a lady yeah it was it's like one of the weirdest things why would he direct her being like so horribly abused in that scene which is horrible the dichotomy of man dichotomy of man there you go the dichotomy of man blue velvet (laughs) how why well what how long have we been in here We're, we're coming up on what two hours all right. Well, I wanted to to give you guys, you know, something because this was nominated for an Oscar. It was. Yes, in nineteen uh, the nineteen eighty seven Oscar for best direction, <sighs> because the Academy cares about quality films, unlike some people here. Oh <laughs> yeah, the Academy. I know the Academy. He didn't. He <laughs> Don't didn't, get me into that. He didn't win though. <laughs> and it wasn't nominated. For slim Pickens. Slim Pickens that year. <laughs> no. Joking. Well, I'll. I'll I'll give you the uh, the the I list like of movies. How, I like how you're blocking it so she can't read it. When, she's way the fuck over when there. When I'm He's, right next to you and I can't even read it from here. James is like, I've got to lay down the bomb, <laughs> the final bomb. Mm-mm. All right, because we we've been doing this like the last couple of episodes, and it's kind of fun to figure out well what what won, you know? Because mm-hmm. the movies that were nominated were A Room with a View, 
the mission hannah and her sisters and you know blue velvet those were the ones nominated but the movie that actually won was platoon by oliver stone which i think is probably the yeah the better movie than blue velvet well yeah i mean was there a contest (laughs) you just hate blue velvet you just hate it it's Look, I actually saw more merit in it this time than the first time I watched it. I will say that. But again, not your cup of tea? No, not at all. Not at all. But we should ask somebody who's been pretty quiet this episode. It's been nice taking a little break. Sorry, so, Becky. <laughs> so Becky, uh how did what did you think of the movie? How did you like the film? I mean, I liked the mystery. I you know, who belongs to the ear? I mean, later we figure out, you know, whose ear that is. But yeah, I think it just kind of, you know, the rape and all the sexual stuff, I think it really took away from the actual story. I get that we need to see Jeffrey kind of struggle in between, you know, I could be a Frank or I could be, you know, this cool kid from college that came home. But eh, it, I was impartial to it. I'd rather watch Twin Peaks. Mm. <laughs> mm. Even though Twin Peaks has some fucked up stuff in it, too. Yeah, season three is rough. You should watch Twin Peaks. Oh, no, I'm, I'm saying, like, Laura Palmer stuff. That is very dark, yes. Yes. Yeah. I can't wait for us to talk about Fire Walk with me. Oh, me too. It's going to be great. But, uh, so, I guess we'll we'll wrap up here. Uh, Yasmin, do you have final thoughts on, on Blue Velvet? <laughs> Any Anything you'd like to say about uh, uh, the film that, you know, has so much more merit than you thought it did originally? It doesn't. Um, no, I mean, do I recommend it? No, why do you want to ruin your life? Um, no, I wouldn't recommend this film. I feel like if you want to see stories like this or read stories like this, like find them elsewhere. Again, you don't need like, like the violence in this film is like over the top gratuitous. I feel I feel like if he was a better storyteller, he would find a way to do it in a way that wasn't so explicit. <laughs> it, it's your turn. Oh, I, oh, sorry. I, I just said I was whatever, and I uh, prefer Twin Peaks. I don't like it. I don't like this movie. I don't feel like it's that well done. I feel like he's relying on viewers to find meaning. Uh, it's overly ambiguous. The themes that I could find in this film were, again, like not that original. Um. I am. Uh, I acknowledge all your points, but those are the reason I like the movie. <laughs> okay. Honestly, and that's kind of why I, I recommend it because it's so ambiguous, and because you can read so much stuff into it. I think it's a wonderful intellectual exercise of analyzing this this film. And also, <laughs> again, I like the mystery. I like the aesthetic. I really do think that the performances in it are great, even if they're not playing people. They're playing very interesting characters and i think the again you said this movie has no merit and the themes are trite but there's so much of it in there and we spent literally like two hours talking about them and i think that's that is worth it it. (laughs) she had to work her way through it (laughs) you gotta work your way through it it was a rough time yeah i mean there's plenty of material to bash david lynch over the head with that's I my, think that's there's my, a yeah. lot there to, you know, talk about. And I think he is there's a, a lot good to talk director. About. But, like, if you watch a Gaspar No film, it's like there's a lot to talk about. Because, again, he's a provocateur and a pervert. So there you go. I mean, uh, I, I probably won't do Gaspar No way. His favorite movie's uh Solo, so I'm not, not down with that guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, what are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, we're talking about another David Lynch movie I've never seen before, Wild at Heart. Uh, I know that Nicolas Cage is in it. Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. So that's the only you know hope that I'm holding on to is that... <laughs> Willem Dafoe's also in it. I do love oh, me some Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. This is the movie David Lynch decided to do instead of the first half of Twin Peaks Season 2. I see. I see. Yes, okay. Yes. But yeah, we'll be talking about Wild at Heart. Uh, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can get our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. Eventually, Dean will remember to upload video versions of this podcast. But until then, you can follow us on our social media at... You can follow us on Instagram at The Film Flip Podcast, where we post uh, daily stories, upcoming episodes, and random adventures we go on. And Yasmin, would you like to plug anything? Maybe tell everyone where they can go watch great, great David Lynch film analysis. Oh, God. (laughs) At The Film Club Podcast. (laughs) I mean... uh... What just happened? <laughs> right? I have nothing to plug. No. I have no ulterior motives here other than to just destroy David Lynch. <laughs> and get some barbecue, everyone. right? And eat barbecue after this. Yeah. Oh. Those are my motivations. You know what? Let's go get some barbecue. Well, let's thank uh, Cousins of the Podcast for being out with us today. Thank and- you. I actually like love being here. And I'm sorry if I like. <laughs> oh no! Like honestly, totally. this conversation just okay. made me enjoy Blue Velvet even more. Okay, great. I didn't want to ruin it for you, Dean. No, you can't do that. Okay. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. <laughs> <laughs>